Writer's Block, Super Friends, proudly presented by Brondo Energy Drink. It's like a monster truck you can pour into your face. Brondo, the thirst mutilator. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, Ringo award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and The Jump. Uh, the other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is... David Avaloni, film guy, comic book writer, drunken reprobate. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, if you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Cecil Castellucci, and Alex DeCampi, and many, many more, uh, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear crack. So double on back and check it all out. But we have a great show for you today. Avaloni, why don't we bring our guests on? Bringing in the lovely and talented Susan Eisenberg and the lovely and talented Phil Lamar. Howdy, howdy. Hello, kids. So hello. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the way that you introduce the podcast is the way I always say hello to my, I greet my father every phone oh. call. I'm sure that loudly. Have, but yeah. No, I take it down about seven. <laughs> no, it's not that loudly, but it's that kind of hello. So it was like kind of sweet when I heard you say it like that. <laughs> That's good. That's a great story. We, we, we've debated whether we should warn people or not that I'm going to yell. Um, uh, and we, we started out doing that, uh, but we thought it was maybe a little bit more fun not to. Um, and, it, you know, it, it, for some people, it just kind of rolls off of them. And then some people like we, you know, we pop onto the the, uh, the screen and they're like, whoa. So um, those are oh, for me, it was just totally familiar. So I loved it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we never had that response. So awesome. Well, Susan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, <laughs> um, so Susan Eisenberg and voice actor, probably best known for um, voicing Wonder Woman in the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, which is how I know that guy that guy <laughs> sitting next to me um, and, you know, just all around voiceover person, um, loved the voiceover world, loved doing audiobooks and promos and cartoons and all of it. It's just all good as far as I'm concerned. Lovely. And Philip Lamar. Hey, Phil Lamar. Um, face actor, voice actor, foot actor, <laughs> all the kinds. Oh, wow. <laughs> Hand model. He does model. <laughs> no, that's the one that I don't do because I bite my nails. Uh, oh, um, okay. TikTok phenomenon, OnlyFans. Uh, oh, no, God. None of, none of those. No, I'm, I'm allergic to the internet, but I'm here for you, David. I appreciate wow. that, especially considering that many, many moons ago, I believe we met on the internet through the kind offices of Jay Kogan and the uh, 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 a small cult known as the Stump, which we need not, which dare not speak its name in public. But, uh, but again, you know, to start with the first softball kind of question, we, you know, this show is usually about people who create comic books. And I thought we were overdue <laughs> to have some, you know, uh, actual superheroes on uh, because we, we haven't, we haven't done that yet, but I'm always curious, uh, have were you familiar with did you read were you a fan of any of the characters you voiced before you voiced them either one of you can take it first uh, susan you want to you know i was a i was a fan of linda carter um and but i didn't know too much about wonder woman um i didn't grow up with i mean i grew up with archie comics and a few others i watched 
Scooby Dooby Doo and all of that, but I wasn't a huge um, cartoon comic book fan. So I kind of learned on the job, if you will. Um, but I did, I, I knew Linda Carter's work because she made such an indelible imprint on the culture. Um, but I, I can't say I watched Super Friends or any of that, which is probably sure. good because I, yeah. I wasn't like intimidated by what came before me that much. And Linda is Linda. She's singular. So no one has to try to be her. No one can. So uh, I kind of had a, like, it was just a blank slate, if you will. And then Bruce Tim and Andrea Romano could fill in um, what they wanted it to be. And I tried to deliver <laughs> as and, best and I could. And in, and indeed you have for, for a while now. It's a great take on the character. Phil, how about you? Well, I was, um, I grew up a big comic book geek. Um, so yeah, I knew all those characters backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, I was in some ways sort of the, uh, the acting department R&D guy because a lot of times there would be guest actors coming in to play some you know, relatively obscure DC character. And I would reach in my bags like, actually, hold on a second. Uh, I've got <laughs> here, here are this, you know, the seven soldiers of victory. And you know, do this one. Um, yeah, because most of us didn't have any clue. Even the main stars didn't have a clue sure. about the, that world. And, I always say Phil was the guy that was on the floor reading comic books in between takes. And yeah. he was our go-to guy because he knew that world and, and not just knew it, but like knew it well. Sure. And so he had a question. It was like 1-800-PHIL, you know, that kind of thing. He knew, he knew the answer. Well, yes. The truth of the matter is knowing it doesn't necessarily make you better at it, especially from, an acting standpoint, um, and I think I think the same is true of a writing standpoint. You know, although I don't know. Actually, I guess it's arguable whether the you know golden age, which was create you know of comics, was created by guys who did not read comics, right, and largely didn't even respect the the medium, right. You know, they still created things that we all soaked into our bones. Right. And, you know, obviously, you know, from Roy Thomas on, you know, from the, the second gen, you know, nerd creators, there are obviously still great things, but I think, I think you get the same percentage of greatness, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, whether yeah, somebody yeah. is, you know, a fan or not. Sure. Well, it seems like you need to know enough, right? You know, like you need to know just enough. Like if if you know too much, it could trip you up. Not to say that it's always going to trip you up, right? But if you are if you are filtering your performance, your take on things through all of these other takes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe that there's not enough room for it, right? You you want room for for your own take, for your own stuff, right? Um, Right. And I I mean, I've seen this play out just as a writer. Like a lot of my film. TV stuff I write with a partner and we've done a lot of rewrite things and sometimes we'll get very busy and I'm working on one thing and he's working on the other. And, you know, if you're, if you're rewriting something, it can be a blessing or a curse to have kind of read 
the original too much. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, it, you know, if you have this completely different take on things. And so we have, we have done this thing from time to time where he reads the original becomes extremely, he knows it backwards and forwards. And then he does a rewrite on it and comes up with something completely different that is really informed by the original. Mm -hmm. I wait and don't, and don't read the original until later. Mm -hmm. Um, I read his script first and then I'm looking at it as completely new, you know, which, which right. will become our script as a completely new thing. And then I'm coming at it from a completely different angle. So it's like, it's, it, it's interesting, you know, I mean, I think that the truth, we're lucky in that there are two of us, right. But the truth is probably somewhere in the middle where it's like, you need to know enough, but you don't want to know so much that it kind of gets in your way, I guess. Well, actually I think it's just about talent. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if you, you know, have the talent to do that thing, whether you're a fan or whether you're not, really doesn't matter because you're going to mm -hmm. find the thing that makes an audience respond. Mm -hmm. The people who don't have talent, who are just fans and just want to write because I love writing, then you're just, yeah, yeah. you're not creating a new comic. You're yeah. writing fan fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. And, that's, and that stuff is always kind of apparent. And you know, you do, there is definitely that danger when you're so deep into something, what you're obsessed with about it mm -hmm. is not necessarily what anyone else is obsessed with about it. And, and you may be like, I'm going to focus on this one panel in this one comic from my childhood and really go deep into what we learned right then and there. And it's like, no, does everybody care about that though? That's... Yeah. I mean, and the, you know, an adaptation, and you know, this this field particularly is all about like you're standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm -hmm. Though I think, had anyone voiced a uh, Green Lantern before? Had ever anyone voiced John Stewart before you came along? No, no. I, uh, yeah. I think there had been Hal Jordan had probably shown up in some Super Friends episodes. Yeah, but mm -hmm. yeah, no, I was lucky, uh, luckier than you, Susan. I mean, because you did have in some way this idea that but it wasn't in the same realm and more importantly the people we were working for weren't tied to that they weren't gonna they weren't trying to make susan listen to tapes of linda carter it's like yeah. make sure you get some of this in there yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> thank god <laughs> no, and, that, and there are there are a number of interesting ways to do that i mean i've i was impressed with the way that as an example Chris Pine didn't do a William Shatner impression at all, but there's something about Shatner's physicality. It was enough of it. Yeah, there was enough he, of it. Yeah, he, he sort of knows how William Shatner walks across a room, and he actually yeah. brought that rather than watch some of the bridge scenes on the sh on the, in the movies, mm -hmm. and you kind of like the way he gets in the chair is very William Shatner yeah. more than anything well, it, else. Yeah. It, it, yeah, and, and that one was so difficult because it's like because it's you know so Shatner, 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 yeah, Shatner as Kirk is. I mean, to a certain degree, it's like a parody of itself. You know what I'm saying? And it's been parodied so much that there are these things that are blown up. I mean, what I compare that to is like no one can ever do an original Christopher Walken impersonation anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like like Jay Moore did his, and now every Christopher Walken impersonation is an impersonation of Jay Moore doing. Right. You know Christopher Walken, and Walken, there's one. Yeah. There, there's one Harry Carey. Will Ferrell did Harry Carey. You can never do a new Harry Carey. And so, if someone came to you know to one of us and said, "Hey, we want you to play Harry Carey in this thing," 
you, you know, it, it, it would be hard to get away from that. And the chat, yeah, I mean, the, the, the James Kirk thing was a difficult one. And, and, and well, actually, I'd be curious that. whether Chris Pine, you know, the thing that you're talking about, David, whether he actually made that choice or whether he simply got into a captain's chair on a spaceship the way anybody would get into the captain's chair on a spaceship, and you read Shatner into it. <laughs> that's, that, is, that is possible. But no, I did read an interview with him once where he said, I, I tried to be him without doing that impression. Okay, so he was conscious I, of it. Okay, He's like, I, I did. He, he talks a lot about how Shatner, as a stage actor, there's something about the way he moves and poses and uh -huh. strike, strikes attitudes. And he's like, I wanted to do that part and not do the voice. Because mm -hmm. I felt like that was enough to sell the Kirkness of it. There's one moment in the first movie where it goes, Bones, and you're like, there it is. <laughs> like, like, you had to start a line of dialogue with Bones, and there was really no way into it that wasn't Shatnerian uh, in its way. But what Ryland was saying was reminding me of the old, uh, I'm sure you know the old George Carlin thing about people that everybody does impressions of. Mm -hmm. He's talking about doing uh, uh, the variety show host. Oh, uh, Sullivan, Ed Sullivan. Sullivan. He's talking about doing Sullivan. Mm -hmm. He's like, I do the uh, Don Biner, Ed Sullivan. A lot of people do the Rich Little. Uh, I'm not a fan of the Rich Little. I think the Biner is more incisive and more, you know, like, and I, there's definitely like uh, Hank Azaria. I never imagined there was a way to do a Charles Bronson impression. <laughs> but he does it all the time on The Simpsons, and it's yeah. great. And you go, oh, that's the road in. Right. To the Charles Bronson impression, and that's always mm -hmm. kind of uh, that's, that's always kind of uh, that's always kind of interesting. But uh, but yeah, not having uh, being being in a place where you could create the characters as Bruce Tim, for example, uh, rather than it being no, we're doing Diana Prince from 1979, and that's what we want. And right. you know, there's a there's a you know, I would say you know. Uh, Kevin is probably my favorite Batman of all of the Batman there yep. have ever been. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I there, there's no interpretation of that part that I think is superior. Yeah. I, I don't think you're alone in that. I think yeah. that, you know, when, when they do these polls, which they love to do now, you know, people are like, who's your favorite Batman? And they list all the live action guys. And, you know, people always say, Kevin, nope. <laughs> yeah. you know, put him on, you know, add the VO guy. Cause he's our Batman. Um, yeah. I think most, I think most people have that connection to him. The, the close Definitely. second, the close second runner-up for me isn't Michael Keaton; it's Dietrich Bader. Mm. Oh, he's one of the great comedy Batman right. of yeah. all time. I don't know if you've watched the Harley Quinn series, but he yes, he does so and, much with an exhausted so sigh. <laughs> I love really that. Good. I love that version of the Batverse where everyone is a mess and Batman is actually the straight man. To a city full of just complete fucking lunatics. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty. Well, it's funny, Susan, what you were what you were saying about Kevin being the the iconic Batman. I mean, before the um, you know Justice League, Batman was my comic book totem animal. That was my book. Mm -hmm. And then you know, and but although weirdly, I didn't watch Batman the animated series. Wow. I think because of the age I was mm -hmm. at that point. Yeah. You know, I wasn't a kid when it came on. I was, you know, a grown up trying to, you know, go out and have go on dates. Um, <laughs> but getting to, you know, work with Kevin, you know, people, 
it's funny because there's two questions people ask like you know who who is your favorite batman it's like without a doubt you know as someone who loves the character nobody embodies all the things i love about the character kevin's voice mm-hmm. sounds like neil adams pen that's mm-hmm. great that's great you know yeah. it, it captures everything that's cool about the character all the stuff that goes back to 1939 mm-hmm. right now and so but then people say now if there was some one character you would want to play you know a voice what would it be and of course like batman is my totem that is the one character but then now i'm like but i can't i can't ever play batman because all i could ever think to do is try to copy kevin right right interesting yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually similar to like every once in a while Warner Brothers because they have no respect for talent will recast the Looney Tunes characters like every three years. Mm-hmm. I can't audition. Yep. Because anytime I do it and it doesn't sound exactly like Mel Blanc, yeah, I can't submit it. Mm-hmm. Nope. Delete. Yeah. No, and that's a, and that's a hard one too because man, those personalities are so strong and Blank's work is so just absolutely. And I get it. Like when he died, when Jim Henson died, giant corporations aren't going to go, well, Bugs Bunny and Kermit the Frog are dead. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, kids, but that's what happened. There's no going back. <laughs> you know, It's like, they're, they're definitely not going to do that. And, they're well, and they shouldn't. Like, no. They shouldn't. They're, like they're, when Olivier they're, died, we don't put away Hamlet. Right. Right, right. We still need those characters. We still need those stories. Right, mm-hmm. but we're it's just, just we actors are just vessels for right. some period of time. Yeah, but it's something with you know with something like Bugs. It's just the voice is so indelible, and it takes you really need someone who's got something. And you know, like you know, you guys know this better than anyone. It's not just the voice. It's everything else blank brought to that character there's there there's an inner life there that's really uh that's really quite something and although uh, there is something weird about people's response to oral stimulation like aoau oral um like i always say to people um like when your parents call your name you know like you as a grown person you flash back to when you were a child, even though uh, they've obviously aged, their voices have aged, but you hear it the same way. It triggers the same synapses in your brain. And I think there's something about this work, voiceover work that we do. Cause like when I hear Susan's Wonder Woman, it triggers a different response in me than someone else's Wonder Woman. It right. brings back all of the good feeling I had from those Justice League episodes, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think that's, you know, one of the reasons sometimes they will carry us along to, you know, bring us back to revoice a character in a new thing, because they know, one, the, you know, your performance as her is great, but it's also, hey, let's borrow a little bit of that, you know, oh, totally. positive association, totally. you know. No, it's, you know, it's why I'm a little, I'm not a giant fan of needle drops in movies soundtracks because so often it's i can't conjure this feeling on my own as a filmmaker but i know if i play this pop song you're gonna feel a thing 
and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't even stop yourself from feeling this thing that I want you to feel because I played this song for you right now. And that's a, you know, that's a valid thing to do. God knows. <laughs> and it's why leap motifs work in orchestral scores. Even people that even people that aren't big film score nerds, when they hear the force theme, they think about Obi-Wan Kenobi and they even if they don't know why they're thinking about Obi-Wan Kenobi, they hear dun 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 dun. And there's Alec Guinness and Ewan. You know, there's no getting around it. Um, so that 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 use of of sound and voices to, you know, to yeah, to borrow the to borrow earlier greatness. You know, I mean, look, it's why everyone put Orson Welles' voice in everything for the last twenty years of his life because they just wanted, you know, they wanted that Charles Foster Kane goodness uh, yeah, coming this, out of this, every this robot. Tone of voice and, suggests greatness. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they got I I remember he voiced the first trailer for <laughs> Star Trek the Motion Picture and it was just such a like no this is so important you guys. It's so right. important we got Orson friggin' Wells. We're not just screwing around here. This isn't some Star Wars business, you know. Speaking of which, when you hear the old trailers like for the 70s and 80s movies, mm. um man, does it take you back to that era? I mean, just yeah. It's it's that guy who's you know very serious talking about. I mean, it's he's so good that like yeah. whoever that guy is, I don't even know who he is, but like he's yeah. in so many of the trailers, and yeah. it's just perfect for that era. Perfect. I mean, listen, let's just say it. Voiceover is where it's at, kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean that, that's just so fascinating to me that it was like I I don't know the guy's name either. Uh, but he's the guy. We all know him yeah. as the guy, right? And, and 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 every once in a while, you would hear a trailer that didn't have the guy, and you'd be like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, no, who's this? this? Are you kidding me? Like the, if you the trailer if you didn't get to that like guy, network, you yeah, yeah, oh. like that era, that guy. That's yeah. the one I'm talking about. And just yeah. like he talks about the actors, and you know, and and it's it's long. It's a long trailer, and right. you're just like riveted by it because this yeah. guy's so good. If, if you want your mind blown, go to YouTube and look up the first Empire Strikes Back trailer. I had It took me decades to notice this. I don't know if he lost a bet with George Lucas, but it's Harrison Ford pretending to do a, a you know, an announcer trailer guy voice. <laughs> but it's totally Harrison Ford. Luke Skywalker is back, but it's Harrison Ford saying it. Awesome. <laughs> If you listen, you can kind of hear it. Weird. He's, he's trying super hard to sound like. I feel like he made a bet. Like he said, I bet I can sound like one of those guys. And Lucas, trailer like, guy. You don't sound like any trailer of those guy. guys. You know, yeah. but yeah. Do you ever do trailers, Susan? I have. For a, for a couple of video games, I've done them. But, you know, um, that's not my bread and butter, Phil. Um, but I have done them. I'd like to say I, I think I've done everything. Now that I've done an audio book, I think I've done it all. What was the? What's the audio book? Star Trek Discovery. <gasps> what? Nice. Yeah. Sweet game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Except that that again, not my world. And I don't know about you three, but um, pronouncing those names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ro Romul Romulan. Romulan. <laughs> <laughs> It was crazy. It was yeah, crazy, there, but it was there, fun. There, I'm was sure fun. there are some tongue twisters in there. Oh, totally, totally. Is, it took is, a long is, time. There, is there is there someone there to feed you pronunciations, or are you just kind of left to your own devices? Well, it was a kind of a last minute gig, and truthfully, I don't even know how I got it. 
because I didn't audition. Like, I don't know how I got it to this day, but it came really quickly and then they recorded really quickly. So they gave me this phonetic, like cheat sheet. And it it was just (laughs) crazy. Um, But you know, you you figure it out as you go. Listen, with with video games, you don't, a lot of times you don't see the script before you go into record. And so for the first time you're seeing it, you're seeing it on the screen and um, you know, and you just have to get and you do, you just do. Yeah. And, and is the, is the video game thing? I, I can't even imagine those scripts. It's like, is it a lot of variations of the same actions and ideas and, you know, well, based well, on most, what the player has done? I mean, I don't know about you, Susan, but I would say the vast majority of the time we never see a script. Mm. Right. You know, either for security reasons, they don't want the, you know, or I think mostly it's just because of the process. Like, here are the in-game lines. These are the things you're going to say as we walk past this rock, you know, and yeah, it'll be like nine different variations of that. Then there's the cinematic scenes. These are the scenes we've written that we think will go here, 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 and here, but maybe not. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so there isn't a script in right. the broadest, in the, you know, the real technical sense it's, of like, what is the story? What am I doing? Where yeah. am I saying? It's like half the stuff you record, they don't even know where it's going in the game. Sure. I can see that. I can see which, that. Yeah. As which makes for it your so example, difficult. So it's, I'm, it's, we're walking past a rock. Don't touch that rock. That rock just exploded. He shouldn't have talked, touched that rock. You know, like every every right. possible rock. Throw that rock at a guy. Like every possible outcome of the rock <laughs> encounter moment. That's got to be exhausting. Well, and luckily you, have, you usually have a writer and a director right there telling you, like, they'll give you some context. Um, right. But it's a, you know, for these games, they're so complex and there's so many characters and... <laughs> They try to fill in some blanks, but it's like four blanks when you're talking about 3,000, you know, pieces to this puzzle. Um, But you just do your best. I mean, you try to take as much as you can that help you define the character. But I I often say that you cannot go into a, a session for a video game not knowing what you're doing and try to fake your way through. I mean, some things you can try to fake your way through, right. not a video game session. There's just, there are too many things that you really do need to know. Um, trust me, I've tried. Hasn't <laughs> 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 ended well. <laughs> I mean, what's an example of something you would need to know? Do you mean about the character in the project or about the literal process of recording lines for a video game? Well, okay. yeah. Okay. And yeah, yeah. Go ahead, sir. No, no. I mean, what you were just saying, like, yeah, what is, what are these lines for? Like, I think it, it helps to, um, if you've played games, it adds a layer of understanding because you can look at something and go, oh, this is exposition to try to tell people how to do the buttons for the next, you know, you know thing they're about to encounter. So you at least understand the purpose of what you're saying from you know an, an intellectual standpoint, if not from a character standpoint. For, for me, the toughest thing, Susan, is always trying to ground things emotionally mm-hmm. and make choices when you don't know, spe- right. you know specifics. So you end up a lot of times having to make general choices, right. which is why it's, you know, n- that acting in video games is not generally considered, you know, top-notch stuff. 
It's not right, the actors. Because, it's because the process. You, can't, you can't build an arc on the idea that maybe half the lines of dialogue that you recorded for a scene aren't actually going to be heard by the player mm -hmm. because they may drop out because the guy didn't pick up the fire, the poker in the fireplace or whatever. So those eight lines about picking up the, the poker in the fireplace that you had building to a climax of the scene, well, that's not happening now. So you can't just like jump to a different emotion. But, suddenly. Yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like you, you generally don't know where you're coming from and you don't know where you're going. Right. And so, 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 uh, you know, how do you, how do you navigate any of that? But sometimes you don't even know where you are. <laughs> so sometimes well, it's just, I mean, like, you, know, you, you just have to lean into character. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, okay, they tell you what the character is. They show you the character, but mm -hmm. there's just that thing of, you know, I'm good. If I'm talking about my day to my mom, mm -hmm. I'm going to say that the, the I'm going to describe the exact same things differently than I would you know, telling it to you, David, at a bar. Right. You know, even if the, you know, the the words I'm saying are the exact same, the right. the, cho the way I say them is going to be different. Right. But if you don't know, like, right. okay, as an actor, you're wearing a black hood um, and just tell the story. To, yeah. to whom? Where? About, yeah, exactly. Now, that's, that, that, is a, that has always seemed super crazy challenging to me. Uh, I've, I've had one voiceover gig in my life for someone's short film. They needed a Sean Connery impression. And the gag was that the character was named Roger Moore. That was, that was it. That was the, that was, that was the joke. It wasn't a terribly great short film, but I was kind of happy to be that anyone was, anyone was paying for my Sean Connery impression. Um, uh, the one thing that I remember about it that was interesting was word choices. And I wonder if this ever uh, when you're doing a certain voice, certain word choices are harder than other word choices. And in this case, the Sean Connery character was issuing a warning about the bad guys wanted to destroy the, the world. And I was like, can I say planet? Because Sean Connery <laughs> saying world is a lot of damn like I can. I was like, I can do. He means to destroy the planet. That's easy. Right. <laughs> you know. He means to destroy the world. Is uh, is does not uh, does not particularly come come easily. Do you ever talk word choices with directors? Is it ever? I mean, I think it's different because you're not really doing impressions. It's not you're not you're not locked into you know how someone how someone particularly speaks. Is there no, but you can trip. You can trip your like I. You know there are certain, and this would happen a lot in when we were doing Justice League, where you just keep. Going, doing that line, you keep, it's like the hill. You just keep, oh, okay, I'm going to get it. I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to get it. And you know, you're in a room full of people. Everyone's like, you know, hello, you know, <laughs> and you just do it a few times. And if it's really a tongue twister and the writer's there and they're like, yeah, we can figure out another way to say it. Let's, let's just change it up. Or they'll leave you and come back to you later just to give you a break. So you're not, because that pressure starts starts to mount and we all have those words like for me it's conscience uh, you know it that's always tough for me to get out and there are certain words that are just harder to say and like mm -hmm. sometimes my new england um accent will come in and i'll hear it and i'll be like yikes you know like <laughs> instead of themiscara it's like you know rhode island it's like what no, that's not right um so you know both, while, both are that great happens. for seafood though 
So there is that. <laughs> yes, yes, Both indeed. being like great lobsters in that, Atmosphere. It's true. Oh, it's true. So, yeah. And sometimes, you know, like in video games, I find um, they'll, re they'll tweak things for you sometimes, mm -hmm. which I appreciate. And actually everything I've done, they most of the time they won't. But once in a while you get a real, it, what feels like a real collaboration. And they, they, they'll write to suit you, especially mm -hmm. if it's a, like a, a client that you've worked with a lot, whether it's in a video game or a commercial, and they'll know how you speak and the cadence you use, and mm -hmm. they'll write that in. And that's, that's a luxury, and it's pretty fabulous when it happens. My, my dad wrote some spoken word albums in the 60s, late 50s. And he told me the story when I was a little boy about he had Claude Rains recorded a rewrite of uh, Treasure Island for Children that dad had written. Mm. And he said one of the highlights of his career was Claude Rains asking if it was okay to change a word that he had written. <laughs> and it was and it was a little bit about how the, the how, it was about sound more than it was about content. The line ended pistol shot. And it was, you know, talking about a flintlock. And he's like, I think pistol ball works better than pistol shot. He's like, I don't like shot. And, and dad was like, great. <laughs> like, I'm not going to argue with Claude Rains about saying a word. Exactly. You didn't help exactly. I'm going to get well, the hell I mean, out of the way. <laughs> coming from the writer's end, I mean, it's, it's such a gift to know who is going to deliver your lines. I mean, and, and, um, and particularly if that person is, you know, gifted and, and, right. and you like them and, and they're going to bring something. I mean, uh, um, you know, I've done it before to a degree, but I'm right in the middle now of like my first, like really kind of intense version of that. Um, doing this TV series now with uh, David Diggs and Raphael Casal and Emmy Raver Latman. It's three like oh. amazing actors and they're just they're they're brilliant and they're awesome and you hang out with them and you you get to know their cadence and you get to and and you see the facial expressions they make and you see like how they get excited and what makes them excited and then it, and then when you can go in and you can craft the script to all of that it just comes to life i mean it's like you know yeah. it's taking a script from like a seven to an 11 you know i mean it's mm -hmm. uh it's it's awesome, and you can just like you're you're sitting there typing, and and it's it's no longer this character you made up in your mind. Like you can you can hear David saying the lines, you can see like Emmy laughing at that joke, you can see all of the stuff, and it it becomes real in a very like meaningful way, you know. And then and then when you hand the script off and they read it, and it feels like them immediately, like that like they respond to it you know it's no longer like oh this is a good script it's like oh my god this is this is us like this is ours this is um you know and 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 so that's awesome so um you know i i think that uh yeah i mean that's like my dream scenario i think well yeah, that's think the magic of a collaborative medium like comics or animation or you know live action acting is as a as the writer you putting out the idea i mean i think as novelists it's a different thing it's like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to use all the words I need to get the idea that's in my head onto this page so someone can read it with their eyes. I mean, it's a, it's a much simpler thing. But when you're dealing with, you know, actors performing things, they're bringing an energy to it. And sometimes it's alchemical and that they're... I, 
their energy plus that idea turns it into something, you know, I mean, it's funny because I'm working on a project now. We're trying to adapt a friend of mine's webcomic um, called Goblins into an animated series. And we crowdfunded a, um, tr a you know, money to do a trailer. And and my, my partner, Matt King and I, we were both actors and we were you know, writing our adaptation of the, the webcomic. And we spent months on it and we, you know, acted out every scene, but then we did the record for the trailer and to have Billy West and Maurice LaMarche and Jennifer Hale and Steve Bloom and Matthew Mercer uh, in there taking these lines that we've said over and over and over again. And all of a sudden the words on the page became something else. Yeah. It's like, Oh wow! This scene, yeah, is a thing that's alive now. Yeah, and Isn't that, it's just the greatest experience in the world. <laughs> I mean, of all of the things, I've done a lot of different things in show business, but a great actor reading words you wrote and them not merely getting it, but getting it better than you did. Yeah, that's the re to me. That's the real magic. Where you go, you know, I didn't actually. I didn't see, it's why I always like, as a director, I never really, I try to avoid giving direction before hearing someone's first word, first take on it. Because what did you think that meant? And what did you think it was about? And how did it, uh, and as someone who used to spend a lot of time editing low budget movies, a competent actor doing poorly is 99% an actor who no one told them what the line meant. And not to say that, like, they're dumb. It's just subtext is subtext. And if you're not in the writer's head and the line is not well written, you don't know what the subtext is. I worked with an actor once who was one of the – he was not even remotely intellectual about the process. But all I had to say to him was, this is what you're thinking about. Like, literally, he would give me a lame take, and I would say – you're thinking about money. And he would go, oh, okay. And then the next take would be flawless because he was thinking <laughs> about money, which is what the character was supposed to be thinking. You just literally have to, some actors, you don't have to do that to at all. And they bring right. their own subtext and they're great. But some actors, you just literally have to say, this is about that. And they go, oh, okay, great. I mean, I find that especially young and inexperienced actors are a very earnest bunch and writers are a very cynical bunch. And there's a tendency to read sar to read sarcasm on the page and reproduce it earnestly. <laughs> and I saw that a lot in low budget movies. And I'd be like, no, that's that's meant to be irony. Try, you know, a little sarcasm. Just bring me a little bring me a little sarcasm in there. But uh, you learn a lot about humanity making low budget movies. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, too bad they don't exist anymore. Yeah. Well. Bad, yeah. There, there is, there is that. Uh, but you know, we do have our Kickstarters, and I backed your Goblins show. Thank I have you. my, I have my Goblins plastic figure. Oh, nice! Uh, I don't know of all of the, like, I don't want magnets. I don't, you know, like, I'm not, I don't, I don't know that I want a patch for my jean jacket that I don't own. You know, <laughs> uh, so I don't know why that. I don't know why I chose the, you know inch and a half tall plastic figurine. I don't play D&D &D particularly, but I was like, I'll, I'll take- You're about the only one. I'll take the goblins. I'll take, I'll take the goblins. Yeah, I, I played, 
I mean, it's such a classic thing. I played D and D in junior high, and then I, I then I uh, started dating girls. And, uh, <laughs> and the t- there the twain shall meet. And it's not oh, that, and, and you know, it's a it's a way in which the world has changed so much for the better. I can't even speak about it, but it's women were always interested. Girls were always interested in science fiction and comic books and horror movies and all that thing. But men chased them out of conventions and comic book shops and gate kept the hell out of them. I can think of a dozen girls I went to high school with who probably would have loved to have been invited to a Dungeons and Dragons game, but nobody invited them to a Dungeons and Dragons game. And the way in which I walk around Comic-Con now and it's easily 50-50 gender wise. And I look at the young nerds and I'm like, you, fuckers have no idea how good you have it (laughs) like you like i went to comic book conventions in the 70s and the early 80s and there were you know just there was nobody there that i wanted to talk to right if if there was a woman there it was probably a paramedic because some overweight guy fell down the stairs (laughs) Here's, here's a joke that i told for 20 years and then someone someone actually told me the true story in my joke and i went oh holy shit that's correct uh, I used to say that in the 70s and early 80s, there were two women at a comic book convention, the one dressed as Red Sonia and the one who wasn't. And <laughs> I said that to an old grizzled pro once, and he said, and that woman was Wendy Penny. And I went, oh, holy shit, you're right. It was Wendy Penny in the in the Red Sonia costume at every convention when I was a kid. That's absolutely <laughs> Wendy Penny, for those who don't know, is the amazing creator of uh, co-creator of ElfQuest legendary figure in the comic book world but they someone said that to me and i was like you're right i am absolutely thinking of wendy penny who was always at those uh always at those things but uh to to again another complete boilerplate question but i think it's always interesting susan what was your first voiceover job and how did you get into like had you thought about it before you were offered one were you actively seeking it what was the first gig well, the first gig was working for my dad. I, I I was a teenager, and I used to do the ads for my dad's business in Rhode Island. Um, my sister would write the copy um, for his store, and I would be on the radio with him. There was a weekly radio program, and he would go in, and you'd talk about current events in the city and other things. And then during the commercial break, I would read the ad copy. Um, okay, so I have to know what the business was. It was a department store. Wow. What was the yeah, name? Was it, it Eisenberg's? Yeah. Originally it was Eisenberg and Tickton. It was originally that. my That was my great-grandfather. Um, and then by the time my father took it over, it was um, called Raspin Outlet uh, because it had ah. been on Raspin Street in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Um, so, so that's, I think, at a really young age, I knew that there was something that, it was a gig. With, with a voice that was mm-hmm. a gig. And so that was like my first experience with it. And then Did he ever ask years, you back to do like, let's do a commercial Wonder Woman for Rathbuns? <laughs> no, by then he was, by, I think by the time Wonder Woman rolled around, he was retired. Um, oh. I think, I think, yeah, I think so. Uh, but um, no, I, I, so that was my first official one. I, I'd have to really think about where like the second gig came along. But it was many years later. <laughs> so, yeah. And Phil, quick answer to that question. Do you have one? What was, what, what, what got I you? I do actually. My very first um, voiceover gig was actually my first professional acting job. 
mm. weirdly, in junior high. No, no, I'm sorry. No, in high school, junior year of high school, I got cast on an NBC Saturday morning cartoon I know called the, the Mr. T cartoon. Awesome. Uh, it was a, it was a, it was not good. Um, it was a, it was a cash grab. Um, they had already. <laughs> that's the one. They had already done cereals and apparently buses, so they <laughs> somebody said, "Hey, we left some money on the table." Do a cartoon. Um, yes. I pity and, the fool uh, who has not who has not fully exploited this franchise. Right. Mr. T was coaching a gymnastics team, and they exactly uh, that traveled around solving mysteries. Oh, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> because in the seventies, people don't realize this. Police work in the seventies was mostly handled by teenagers. It's yeah. a very very common law, especially long term yeah. cold case investigations were mostly teenagers and small children. You had the Scooby Gang. You had you know Mr. Nancy T. Drew. And, yeah, yeah. My dad wrote <laughs> my, my dad wrote Partridge Family novels, and they mostly were, they mostly were solving crimes. Uh, like you do when you're a musical. There, family. There's one of those books is called Keith the Spy, which I'm pretty sure has the partridges involved in international espionage. God, I'm so sad I missed that. I'm going to have to do a deep dive for that because, you know, I am a Keith Partridge fan. Oh, really? Oh, gosh. I wasn't. My dad if you're was, my age, um, you're pretty much a Keith Partridge fan. Yeah, for yeah. Gener generationally, uh, it's either, with my dad's writing, it's either the Partridge family tie-ins or the uh, Man From U.N.C.L.E., he wrote two. He wrote a man from Uncle book and two girl from Uncle books, and he wrote uh, the, the Beneath the Planet of the Ape novelization, and that there was the, the like generationally. That's the thing you ordered from Scholastic if you're over an age that we will not say out loud during the. <laughs> uh, ordering from Scholastic, we've you've, we've already dated yeah, ourselves. Yeah, we're ready. That's but in, in in class, speaking of classic 1970s formats, uh, Phil has a plane to catch on the talk show. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going right. to jump so, off the couch. Yes, but, but Phil, tell the kids guys. Where, go, where can we where can we find you and uh, what are you up to? Um, I am doing voiceover from my house. It's my booth right there, and uh, I'm at Philamar. Duels in the middle, two R's on the end. Um, <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, just, whatever. Just to end things on a super uncomfortable note. I have to tell you that we've been watching our way through Clone Wars, and my wife turns to me and says, Kit Fisto is hot. I'm sorry. <laughs> Kit, Kit Fisto is the sexiest squid man in the world. I was like, I'm, I'll, you know I'm going to have to tell Phil that. And she was like, he is, he is the only shirtless Jedi. Right. <laughs> I think that's, we should work on a project called the Shirtless Jedi, I there think. I think we'd, we'd sell a lot there. Thank you for joining us, yeah, Phil. No, no thank you guys for show. having me. Susan, it's so Bye, good Phil. to see you. Bye, Phil. All right. Good. Take care, Riley. Take care, David. Take it easy, man. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go. Where can the people find you, Susan, before we move uh, on to uh, Susan Eisenberg1 on Instagram and Twitter because Susan Eisenberg was taken. Right. So what I went with. About? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. So I had to go to Susan Eisenberg one. I didn't do the real Susan Eisenberg stuff because I think that seems a little, you know, tough puff. Yeah. Um, so I just went with Susan Eisenberg one because there are other real Susan Eisenbergs out there. They are. They are. But you, you, you know, what I, I always say that during, you know, one of the nice things in the 
for all that I suffered for having an unusual name as a kid, in the Google age, having a pretty singular name is actually pretty good. Because if yeah, you Google David Avalone, it's me for eight pages before you get, there's a very, <clears throat> seems like a very nice man, Lieutenant David Avalone. I believe he's a lawyer now after he got out of the army. Uh, but it takes a few pages of Google before you get to him, uh, which is which is nice. What have you got? Uh, what are you working on currently? Um, auditioning currently. I mean, everything mm -hmm. is about auditioning, sure. which is you know we're very lucky, you know, as voiceover actors that we didn't skip a beat with the with COVID because all you had to do was figure out how to record from home and right. you could do it. I mean, it was a learning curve, and it's. Um, but I'm glad I learned it because- You were not one of those people like Phil who already had the booth set up or anything like that? No, no because um, actually my agent's office was three blocks from my house. <sighs> so I would just go there every day to audition. And then if I booked something, I would go to a studio. So no, I mm. never had a booth. And, and then this happened. And of course I needed to get it worked out rather quickly. And it was a learning curve. I mean, it still oh, I'm is. Sure. I'm still learning things because- you know, you have to be your own engineer. Yeah. And so it's, uh, that's another piece to that. And it, I, like I say, I like knowing, I like having a different skill set now. Mm -hmm. um, but it does add a different dimension to it. And sometimes you just directing yourself for, for auditions as opposed to having a direct, a booth director. That's also challenging because you just were sort of like, oh, let it go already. Send it, send, press, send, press. You stop editing, you know, just yeah. send it already. So that's that. But lucky. So yeah. auditioning a lot. And, you know, um, I just finished Masters of the Universe with Kevin Smith. Um, nice. So that'll be coming out. They haven't on net for Netflix and they haven't announced when it will be arriving. But I know it's really soon um, because you know, we finished our first season of it. So and was that twenty two or ten or thirteen or what? How big a season? Um, you know what? I don't know because I wasn't in every episode, so I don't know how many episodes there were. Um, but I play the source. I voiced the sorceress in it, and um, it, I'd never worked with Kevin because, mm -hmm. really, I mean, um. But I met him at a, at a at a in a green room at one of the conventions, and um, I I just went up and introduced myself, and lo and behold, he knew who I was, which was lovely. Wow. And sure. uh, we, you know, he I got the part like a few months later. So, and you know, it's been glorious. The other thing I was I'm doing, and I'm it's like all consuming is I have this other life where I love daytime television. I love my soap operas. And um, a woman I met who also loves her soap operas and has a podcast, and she invited me to be on her podcast a couple of times, and we got to talking. We decided to put together a Comic-Con for soap. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, huge, huge chapter. Oh, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So it's called SoapCon Live. And our first event is May 1st. And if anyone has, if you have any soap fans out there, I don't find a lot of crossover with my fan base. Um, not a lot of people who follow me are into daytime television. But if anyone who follows you is, or follows either one of you, um, they can go to soapconlive.com and see we have General Hospital and As the World Turns and One Life to Live and the doctors. We have a bunch of panels and 
You can do meet and greets with your favorite soap stars and autographs and all that good stuff. So do you know if let me the do a little doctors, plug. Do you know if the doctors has any, how long has that been running? Do you know that off the top of your head? Well, it's gone. I mean, it hasn't been oh. on for years, for decades, but it's being televised on retro TV. Ah. And retro TV is one of our, our sponsors. Um, oh, nice. So we're doing a panel with them, with some of the, the four, four of the actors who were on The Doctors. Well, you know, now, I, now, I know a, now I know a present I can give you the next time I see you. My dad wrote a tie-in for The Doctors <laughs> in the 60s. Wow. And here's, here is the hilarious part. How do you do an in-universe, how do you do a novel for a sitcom when you've got all of that intricate continuity of story going on all the time. How do you dip into a serial? And his answer was essentially the novel is lost. All of the main characters from the sitcom, the doctors get on a plane to go to a medical conference in Japan and the plane and crashes, crashes. The plane crashes on an island in the Pacific and that's the book. You know, but it's interesting that you say that because a lot of times, you know, it's not like the writing teams were the same or the executive producers right. were the same. There were, you know, there were a lot of, there was a lot of turnover. Sure. And so people would come in and just like, you know, get rid of characters that they didn't like, or they right. would create stories. And um, so there were all these different periods in time where so-and-so was leading the show and right. so-and-so was that writing team was doing it. And, because I'm such a nostalgic person, I really missed my shows that were take, you know, were, are off the air now. And right. mm -hmm. that was one of the reasons I wanted to do this because I'm so nostalgic. I know there are other people out there who miss those shows. And, um, you know, we're doing both. We're doing shows of yesteryear and also shows that are current. So again, if you have any daytimers sure. out there. How, um, many are, how many are still on the air? Because I know that so four. many. Yeah. Only four. I knew that the industry was, you know, had taken hits from the the Oprah of it all and the Ellen of it all. And, you know, that that as a storytelling medium was uh, was pretty much hanging on by its fingernails in the in the modern world. It, it was. And unfortunately, we lost all the New York shows. And that's mm -hmm. a shame because so many so many of the actors who worked on Broadway on um, worked on daytime television, especially if you yeah. go back a few decades, but even but even up until a decade ago. So you could make money on daytime and then you could go do theater and yeah. that, if that was your first love. And so the talent pool yeah. was extraordinary. You know, people, it's like cartoons, you know, people like whatever cartoons or whatever comic books. And it's like, no, don't, don't downplay them. There, there's brilliance there. Um, and there was brilliance and is brilliance in daytime television yeah. also. Oh, but yeah, unfortunately, no, I, I, all those jobs went away, which is a shame for not just the actors, but yeah, the crew. No, and so many great actors have come from soap opera yes. and, have, and are still in soap opera. Yes. One of my favorite leading men of the 60s who never really had a leading man movie career beyond a couple of movies is Eric Braden. And oh. hasn't he been on General Hospital for like 40 years now, 50 Hello. years? No, he's on Young and the Restless. Or Young and the Restless, sorry, yeah. But for, but for- Victor Newman. But for literally half a century. Or, yes. Yeah. yeah he, in fact, he just had an anniversary. He just celebrated, an, an, and I think it was 40. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, one of my closest friends is Kin Schreiner, who plays Scotty Baldwin 
on um, General Hospital, and he was also the Green Arrow in Justice League Unlimited. Oh. And yeah, and that's how we know each other because he, anyway. Um, and he, I think, just celebrated 44 years. So there's something, anytime you can have a job in the arts where you are steadily employed for decades. Yeah. My yeah. hat is off to you. I always say that about Marty and Elaine playing at the Dresden Room. It's like mm -hmm. they're jazz musicians who have had a steady gig for 30 years. Yep. That, is un that is unheard of in this world. Yep. No one has a job in the arts that lasts decades upon decades, but they're mm -hmm. beloved and people come to see them. And it's the same, like I said, it's the same. No one, no one has wanted Eric Braden off that show you no. know, since the and, 70s. And because he's great. That, he's a terrific actor, and, you know. And he doesn't want off the show, you know. Oh. I mean, he said the other, he said in a recent interview, he's not going to retire. You know, he, right. he will do it until he can't do it anymore. I yeah, mean, carry him out of the um, studio feet first when, when the time exactly, comes. Exactly, so no, exactly. It's the same thing with Jerry Orbach doing Law & Order after, yes. you know, his career in film and his career on yeah. Broadway and being an incredible actor and all of that. And he's like, now I you know, wear the same sport coat, say a couple of cynical lines and I'm done for the week. You know, how, how fantastic is that? You know, good gig, good gig. Yeah. yeah, yeah a lot easier than daytime, but yeah, good gig. Oh, totally. <laughs> mm -hmm. Totally. No, daytime is that incredible grind and you'd have no time to learn your dialogue and no, keep... no rehearsal. They yeah. you know, tape rehearsal. I mean, it's grueling. Um, so much dialogue, so many scenes. I think that that's another thing that, you know, daytime actors are so undervalued, but they're the best in the business because they have yeah. to work harder than prep. I mean, you know, film actors are extraordinary, but their, you know, workload is very light compared to somebody who's working, oh, yeah. who's working a daytime show that they run 52 years. Uh, I mean, 52 weeks a year. So it's, uh, it's totally different. It's totally different and very under um, represented and, and so we're we're trying to change a little of that if we can. And if, like I say, if there are any fans out there who are yours and also of daytime, you know, come visit our well, site. You know, the influence of soap opera on comic books cannot be underestimated. Also, <laughs> there's that. I mean, you know, whatever you say about Chris Claremont's run on the X-Men, that's as soapy as anything anyone has ever written. And it is a deeply beloved and, a, you know, I read a recent DC comic yesterday, a couple of days ago, and the degree to which there's a part of my mind that was like, wow, we're still like, this is still the same continuity from when I was a kid in the 60s and 70s. Like, they're still talking about events I remember in comic books from the 80s. And of course, the joke is because of the wackiness of how comic books work, they're talking about them like they were last week. I'm like, no, mm -hmm. that was... That was in a comic from 40 years ago. And yeah. you're just kind of pretending time does. It's like Bart Simpson being nine for 30 years. It's like mm. you're kind of for pretending time has not passed. Um, yeah. But and, in some ways it doesn't. That's what I love. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's sweet, right? It's sweet. Yeah. Absolutely. No. And you, you know, and, and, and let you be Wonder Woman, uh, you know, till the end of time. You know, the, well, that thank you. That I have no control over. Um, oh, of course, you know, I, none. And you know, obviously, I think that you know, uh, I think the most dangerous thing you can do with playing a character like Wonder Woman is to feel ownership of the character. And it, I've said this before, it's hard not to when you've done it a lot. But 
you know, you, for your own mental health, you you have to let go of it because you have no control. And chances are they are going to use many other women. And what you know, whether you agree with that idea of going outside something that people already know and think it's a great idea or you don't think it's a great idea, you have no say in the matter whatsoever. My only beef is that they haven't reunited us for that Justice League reunion. So sure. um, I'm still hoping that's going to happen at some point. Sure. Well, what's in your favor is, you know, the, you've always got that thing of the next generation of writers and directors are the ones who were small children, you know, when, when you, when you premiered, you know what I mean? Like that's it's the funny. bad thing about executives being young and not knowing anything about history, but there's also the good thing about like, eventually the kid who was five is running the studio and loved the justice league is running the studio. And, uh, you know, yeah. and, and look, that's, you know, that's why we got Linda Carter in, uh, the last wonder woman movie. Like yeah, you know, well, that's, someone yeah, eventually Patty. comes along who has the respect and says, no man, yeah. we're, we got to put Linda Carter in these movies. Come on. Yeah, no, Patty. I mean, I mean, listen, I think Patty adores and reveres Linda Carter as, uh, as Wonder Woman and, and, and pay so much respect to, to her. Um, what, ironically, when you just said that, I did a movie, The Justice League versus The Fatal Five, mm -hmm. and Eric Carrasco wrote it, and he grew up on The Justice League. Right. And so when they were doing casting, you know, he was like, giddy. And I, I'm, you know, I remember meeting him for the first time, and I thought, you know, it's, it was like when I met Lauren Bacall, you know, it mm -hmm. was just like crazy. and how how sweet is that i mean that's right. just oh you're right absolutely that younger generation whose parents turned them on to it they're now you know running shows and writing scripts and lucky us that we get to be a part of it still and re and regardless of all of that your you know your contributions particularly as wonder woman but even everything else you've done like that doesn't go away. And that's the, mm -hmm. you know, the, one of the great things about the, the streaming future and us all, all having the Library of Alexandria on our TVs and on our phones is that, yeah, like someone who has never heard your voice turned on a TV today, went to HBO Max and started watching Justice League. Mm -hmm. Like that happened today. <laughs> you know, you know, possibly so. <laughs> no, I, but it, it, but it's inevitable because we all do it. There's stuff like I missed uh, Brave and Bold. Speaking about Diedrich, the yep. first time it was on, uh, and I saw it was on HBO Max. I was like, oh yeah, I get to catch up with this, and that's a great yeah, show. Yeah, for sure. A lot of terrific voice work on it and all that. So you know, that is the real joy. Is that nothing is. Aside from algorithms and bad advice, no one is nothing is stopping anyone from discovering any great thing. You're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, it's uh, that's 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 really that's really the beauty of it. And as speaking, you know, speaking of discovering great things, we keep talking about Linda Carter. Have either of you seen her cabaret show? Yes. No, I haven't. You, a you, of you times. have seen it. You've seen oh, a it. Of times. Yeah. How, how how amazing is it? Because people keep telling me that I need to see it. I mean, obviously, like the last year is not, but she was, uh, she was in LA, like, uh, kind of before oh, yeah. the shit it, hit the fan. I, yeah. I'm going to blank on the club, but it's a quite a famous club out here. And yeah, it's yeah. really like the perfect space. You know, it's like that old fashioned dinner club where you go in and you have a meal and you watch her and, oh, it was, it was just so fun. And she, 
that's her first love. Music is her first love. Yeah. So you, I mean, that comes through with every note. Um, but yeah, no, I think I've seen her perform twice now. And okay. if you haven't seen her, you should. You definitely. I will keep stopped. an eye out for it if she's if she's doing shows in Los Angeles. I know she was doing oh, yeah. shows in Vegas for a while too. I feel like and she, she did. And she does perform like when oftentimes when she'll do a con or something like that, mm-hmm. they'll be she'll perform as well locally. So, you know, I don't know now with her husband passing and, mm-hmm. you know, so tragically, I don't know, you know, where she is with performing, but she's she'll be back if, if she's yeah, not there now. Say, I'd be surprised be if, she doesn't, uh, yeah. if she doesn't keep love. going with it. Uh, she will. Cause yeah. she's such a, she's such a natural at it. She is. And, uh, totally. Yeah. Cause that was, I was what, maybe 13 or 14 when that show premiered, which is about the age I was when Superman, the movie came out. It's around the same time. And, you know, I was not particularly a superhero comic book reader as a kid and partially because it was that soap opera thing of jumping into a moving train, mm-hmm. uh, the moving train of that continuity. You can, you know, like I said, I just read a DC comic last week and I was like, I pay attention. And even I like, I'm like, this is gibberish. I don't, what, what is going on? Who are these people? How did, well, can you imagine what it's like for somebody who's not in that world and trying right. to like the origins and stories. And, you know, I get asked by fans quite a bit about things and I'm just like, I've tried to educate myself, especially in a general way. So at least mm-hmm. I can sound intelligent when people ask me questions, but it's uh, it's a lot to learn. I mean, I don't know how you people keep it straight, frankly. Oh, I, I, I don't. <laughs> I mostly don't keep it straight. It's crazy. But luckily, though, there are some really good videos um, on YouTube that help explain things. Um, right. Yeah. So it's like if I ever get into like a conundrum of not knowing what is that referring to and I'll just go look it up. You know, okay. there's somebody out there who can explain it to me. Nerdist makes some great uh, morning after videos about the Marvel, Marvel shows going, here's all the references to stuff from yeah. comic books. They And I watch them and I, I get 50% of it, but the other 50% I'm like, whoa. Like, I yeah. Had, uh, I mean, one of the funnier things about that Harley Quinn show is there are a lot of outlandish characters in it. And I was shocked to read, you know, you read the trivia and IMDb and it's like, wow, that's a real comic book character. Mm-hmm. That yeah. ridiculous, that comically ridiculous <laughs> idea was someone's real comic book character and they mined it and put it in the show and good for them. Uh, you yeah. know? Uh, but yeah, I think every, uh, it, I, all of those things. My wife is a big nerd and a big fan of this stuff, but she didn't dive as deep into it as I do. And part of my job is to footnote while we're watching. You know, that's to, cool. You that's know, to cool. Watch, I wish I had somebody who could do that for me, frankly. Watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier with her and pausing and going, Julia Lee Dreyfus is playing someone who used to be Nick Fury's girlfriend. Right. Will that be she relevant is. information going forward? Probably not, but. It's pretty good. funny, you know. I need funny. that. I definitely need that. I might have to put you on speed dial. Oh, please do. <laughs> please do. Nerd Sorry about the light. You know, I, I, when I sat down, the light was in a certain place, and now it's moved, obviously. So I'm sorry I keep going in and out. Oh, that's you okay. know, lightness is dark. Sorry about that. Yeah, we, we recorded one of these once at in the winter, and it was sunset. And I have a, I have a, a light that comes on at, like, when it gets dark and it's a red light and 
by the end of the show, I was like in darkness with this spooky red light on It looked me. like the devil. It was terrifying. It was like, uh, sorry guys, I forgot that it's winter and at six o'clock I'm going to be sitting here in total yeah. dark. When we started yeah, yeah. at five, the sun was out, but now yeah, it's- Right, exactly. Now it's jet black. Well, anyway, it has been lovely talking to you and Phil earlier. Thank you, Thank you so Thank much you. for doing this, Susan. It means a lot to me. You're, you're so welcome. And I wonder, is this now going to be a trend where you have the voice actors on or you change it up? I would love to do it again any time. It's, yeah, uh, it's something that yeah. I had wanted to do for a long time. And obviously, you know, Phil is my entranceway into that whole universe. He's how I met you. Um, mm -hmm. And I know, you know, I know other people that do that work, but, uh, you know, no one who works as much as you and Phil, you know. Well, and, you know, uh, there's so many out there. Um, like you mentioned a few that he's do he's working with on his Goblins project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, I, know uh, I know, I know Maurice in passing. I know Tom yeah. Kenny that I know. Uh, Jen Hale is great. I, I mean, don't know him. I know a guy. Why no, am I what, uh, Jennifer. Jennifer. Oh, Hale. yeah. I don't yeah. know why I'm spacing on uh, on Pinky's name. Um, oh, um, it's one of the Ninja Turtles too. Yes, I know. I I know oh, the guy. He's a friend of mine, and I'm completely spacing on his name. Uh, Rob. Rob, yes, Rob Paulson. Paulson, another great Cute. guy. Great sorry, guy. Rob. Yeah. Yeah. No. Sorry, Rob. Because Thank of working God. with Kevin Eastman, I know a lot of the. I, I know I know a higher than average number of uh, Ninja Turtles. Um, well, so then you can always have like you know, there's this whole community. So I, there's no. Sh my point is, gentlemen, there's no shortage oh, of no. guests. So no, that's why, like, there's this whole huge community of people that can come on and tell tell you stories. Oh, absolutely. About the no, I, I reached out to uh, Cree Summers, an old friend of mine. Like, yeah, I've known, I've known her longer than I've known Phil, but I. Hadn't heard back from her before I heard from you, so you know. But, yeah, and uh, I don't know. I don't know her well at all. We mm -hmm. we have similar paths, like that. I'll go to a studio, and there she is. Um, oh sure. And she, she, we have similar um, friends. We have friends in common. But my God, is she brilliant? I yes. mean, you know, she's brilliant. Yeah. What a what a talent! So. Book yeah, her she's one of the, she's, she's oh, great. No, she's one of the very best. She has such an indelible voice. And you know, uh, you know, sadly, I think to a certain degree, the voiceover industry is so small that like I remember seeing the poster for Drawn Together and literally looking at her character and going, Well, that's gonna be Cree Summer, because who the hell mm -hmm. else in the voiceover industry is gonna do that part? <laughs> you know, like she she gets and it's great that she, you know, she works like mad. She does, yeah. and and she deserves to. I'll say that I think animation is small, and yes. video games is even smaller, but commercial voiceover has oh, only yeah. gotten it's exploded, and that's where it's gotten harder um, for the. Well, and also for, in, com in commercial voiceover, you you're getting big footed by a list movie stars. In uh, everything, you're getting big footed because they yeah. they're all doing series. I mean, check Netflix; it's all animated yeah. series, and they're all celebrities. So it's the commercial, and it's funny that you say that because it used to be that you were, um, you know, they would say sound like Juliana Margulies or, right. you know, and it's not even that anymore. It's that it's it's just the doors swung wide open for voiceover, and, the, and now everybody throughout the world can audition. Yeah. And um, so it's, it's 
become just this huge, it's like winning the lottery, frankly, mm-hmm. yeah. um, in that regard. But, you know, you just keep buying your ticket and hoping for the best, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's all we no, can I, do, any of us. It's, it's literally like one of, one of my superpowers watching TV with my wife. I'll go, that's John Hamm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's Susan Sarandon. That's, you know, like, yep. I, know, I know who all of these people. And there's something about it that's fun, like particularly John Hamm doing, I think it's Mercedes Benz. I'm like, there's something creepy to me about Don, ha- Don, Don Draper selling me a Mercedes. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Well, you know. Who better to, to right. sell you no. a Mercedes than Don Draper? But, uh, but, you know, um, it's always weird because I think people are entitled to make a living no matter how oh, famous absolutely. or not famous you are. Absolutely. But, you know, what, when you consider what they're, paying that person and there are just other people who could do it so brilliantly but mm. then you don't get to meet john ham if you're right. if you're yeah. going with somebody else you don't get to have john ham in the studio with you and the, who doesn't want to meet john ham i don't i don't the instagram this, photo that's the that's this, the key. Right. this yeah. this isn't this is about all acting not just voiceover particularly i don't know if i have the the history right but in my mind uh john cleese is part of the problem is is the originator of the problem i remember he did a guest spot on cheers or not cheers on fraser that everybody okay. loved and he won an emmy for it interesting and i remember when i was a kid growing up guest stars in tv shows that was the emmy that went to the actor that you didn't know the name of that no, you that's, so true. Mm-hmm. that's so true and john true. cleese getting that episode and being a sensation, like, I feel like from then on in, it was like, can we get Brad right. Pitt on Friends? Can we get- You're right. You know? And like I said, yeah. he may not be the Rosetta Stone. I may have the, the time. Yeah, let me, I'm going to write that down. John Cleese. But I feel uh, like it was John Cleese winning the Emmy for Frasier. You're right. That was, you that was like, it. we should stunt cast every, instead of it yeah. being James Karen, instead of it being, you know, uh, Bill Smitrovich, instead of it being- yeah you know, a beloved character actor that everybody adores getting the Emmy for best guest star. Now it's like, Oh, Bruce Willis does a, does a will and grace. And we got to give a friggin' Emmy to Bruce Willis now. Like it, it, yeah. And again, you're right. Everyone deserves to earn a living, but there's just a part of me that's going, come on, man, let, let other people be on. Except like people say that all the time. Like, Oh, geez. You know, she doesn't need the money or he doesn't need the money. They've got gigs. But I think with every actor, no matter if you're Bruce Willis or you're Bruce Stevens, you never know where your next gig is coming. And so that, you know, you just pile away. If if you can pile away the cash while you can. Oh, yeah. No, like I said, I I have a hard time begrudging any. It It comes up a lot in our discussions about Kickstarter because Kickstarter is such a valid means for people who don't have means to get their stuff yes. made. Yes. And you know, I don't know if you know, Keanu Reeves did one and raised millions of yes, dollars. I heard. Two, yes, I heard. $2 million. And, yeah. and a lot of people yeah. were like, fuck that guy. Dude. But, Dude. but, but you. particularly for something with like Kickstarter, the big yeah. barrier to Kickstarter projects getting seen and made is the number of people who use Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you that Keanu Reeves encouraged a million people who had never been to Kickstarter before to have to set up a Kickstarter profile. Yeah. So now those people are potential customers for people like me and Ryland and Phil Lamar doing goblins. So it's, right. 
I can't get too mad at it. Right. You know? And Ryland's heard me say this a thousand times, but I always use the example that if crowdfunding had existed in the 70s, Orson Welles would have made five more movies than he ever got to make. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Because 100%. As, but people think like, you know, there are studio executives who have said no to Steven Spielberg in the last 30 years. We don't believe that that's true, but it is in fact true. Mm-hmm. Even whoever you think is the most powerful person in the world, someone who envies their power sitting in a meeting has the power to say no to them and has the most thrilling moment in their life is them rejecting Steven Spielberg's pitch. More right. thrilling than making a movie with Steven Spielberg is going, mm, I don't know, Steven, I don't think that's going to fly. You know, yeah. uh, and that's wild to think about. And I just got, I just got to say, you know, I mean, I, you know, when, when I was a kid and I saw that commercial, um, you know, and I saw that Mr. T was going to be on different strokes. I was yeah. I, 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 I would not watch different strokes, you know, uh, uh, daily or anything, but if Mr. T was going to be on, you were uh, watching I was it. all in. And so, so if John, if John Cleese is going to be on Frasier, you know, I think it works that same way. Yeah. I get it, and I love the stunt casting myself. I always love. Uh, I have a I have a particular fascination with casting because me too. To me, to me there's so much storytelling in it. There's mm-hmm. so much of I'm telling you about the character. By my favorite example is uh, I was watching an episode of Twenty Four, and I hadn't like watched the opening credits closely, so I didn't know who the guest stars were. And there's a scene where. Kiefer in, is in a car with someone and they're going to see the man who taught me how to be a secret agent, the most mm. impressive, amazing secret agent in the world. And I think I turned to my wife and said, I need a James Bond or better when we get to this location. Like this cannot be the best Canadian under fiver they could find. This has got to mm-hmm. be like someone amazing. And it was Peter Weller. And I went, mm. you know what? A RoboCop is acceptable in this. Well you know, done. Buckaroo yeah, Bonsai. Well like, nice but when you build up a character like that and then the door opens and it's not Peter Weller, you go, I don't believe any of what you just told mm-hmm. me. <laughs> you yeah. know, what you just told me about this character, it's like movies where the president of the United States, in order to keep it anonymous, is played by some character actor you've literally never seen before. I always mm-hmm. don't like that because in the world of the movie, everyone knows what the president looks like and he's a familiar face to them. So if you cut to the White House and the guy sitting behind the desk is not a familiar face, I go, he's not the president because I've never seen that guy before in my life. And there's no point in history where you cut to the Oval Office and I don't know what the president of the United States looks like. You know, I just thought of an idea for a podcast because (laughs) seriously, we could talk about this forever. But we should do, someone should do a casting podcast. You know, talk about casting choices, if it had gone this way instead of this way. Um, you know, when you read the books now, like the Mike, new Mike Nichols book um, mm-hmm. by Mark Harris, you know, he talks about like who was cast in this role and then they fired him, and, you know, like Gene Hackman in The Graduate mm-hmm. and that he was fired. Um, you know, stuff like that is so intriguing and it can really oh, just, you know, I could talk about it for hours, but alas, I cannot because I, I, I must return a call to my dad who was <laughs> called about three times. Hello! Well. And he's we ready will, to do that with me. We will, we will, but, but you don't have a dad. You were formed from dust. That's true. Well, give the retired department store king our love. I will. Indeed. Excellent. 
And thank, thank you. you. And and what what projects are you guys working? I know what project you work are working that's on because you said it. But what are you what, working on, David? That's what we get to next. Ryland first. Why don't you uh, Why don't you tell us what you're up uh, to? You can find me at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. It's R Y L E N D G R A N T. I always uh, spell it for the people who are listening because it's not a real name. My parents uh, drunkenly arranged letters, and now I have to spell it for you. Um, you can find my books, uh, the Ringo award-winning aberrant in, uh, and, uh, the Ringo award nominated Banjax in fine comic shops everywhere and via Amazon and comiXology and all that noise. Um, my books, uh, uh, the jump and peacekeepers are available now via backer kit. If you go to, um, uh, backerkit.com backslash the jump or backslash the peacekeepers, all one word, you'll find all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I actually have a, um, a new book hitting comic shops in August, but, uh, not being announced until June, early June. So, uh, soon. Yeah. Soon. That's always like, yeah. I don't know, you know, we have the NDAs where you ask what I'm working on now. And there are these two, you know, games that are big and I can't talk about either one. So I'll have to come back. When I get <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. I'm, I, all uh, all roads can can fork off of davidavalonefreelance.com. Uh, I do this podcast. I do a podcast called Pulp Today where I read uh, classic novels that I love and talk about them a bit. Uh, I have guests on, Susan, if you ever want to come on and talk about, read from your favorite book and talk about it. Uh, and I define pulp very broadly uh, and I think accurately. The name literally refers to the cheapness of the paper it is printed on. So essentially, have you ever had Alex Segura on? I have not. Alex has been on this show, though. Yeah. Oh, okay. We have had Alex on this show. Yeah, okay, because he he he, it seems like he'd be perfect for something like that. That's that's actually a good. uh, That's actually. I just had a British actress on named Susie Kane. uh, Okay. To to talk about uh, to talk about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I, oh, okay. I, figured I had to talk about that with someone British. I couldn't not. It was my forty-second yeah. episode, so I had to have. I had to talk about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy on my forty-second. And episode. when in doubt, have a Brit on. They sound so good. Well, I mean, who cares? Who cares, right? <laughs> it's just like if it sounds that good, people are going to listen. It's just you know. Yeah. Uh, but, but sorry, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt. So no, that's okay. My, my next comics project will be uh, Elvira meets Vincent Price, which is coming sometime in the summer. Well, and okay. everything else is uh, also an NDA and a secret, <laughs> but it's exciting stuff. Thank you once again, right. Susan, for being on the Thank show. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank so you, guys. And thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. Thanks, we'll guys. catch you on the next exciting episode. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.